Reading now from the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in your sight. He protected us along all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have to admit I was a little bit anxious about announcing a fire drill, what that might do to attendance. I was anxious in a couple of ways, different ways. I was first anxious about how that might hurt our average worship attendance. But I was also anxious that it might bring in a lot of extra people on the promise of a 50-minute service. (laughs) I don't want to hear from you if you chose to come today because you knew it would have to be a short sermon. Don't tell me that. My preference would be that you're here today because you have heard that Central is so close to catching fire that we're having to have fire drills just in case. That's the fire drill we need to have, a Holy Spirit fire drill. Of course, the insurance companies would never think to ask that of us. We wouldn't think we need it either, I'm afraid. 
We might not ever expect that the Holy Spirit would actually push us into dangerous territory. We might not realize how dangerous it is to be here. Annie Dillard does. She wrote in Teaching a Stone to Talk. On the whole, I do not find Christians, outside the catacombs, sufficiently sensible of the conditions. Does anyone have even the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to the pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. What Dillard realizes is that when we choose God, then we have to let go of other gods. Even the God called control. When we say, I follow Jesus, then we are no longer able to chart our own course. We follow If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then we not only trust Him to save us from the ways we've gotten off that course, we also trust Him to save us from getting off that course, to show us what obedience looks like, how we are to go. Joshua was concerned that the people of Israel might take God too lightly. God is not one God out of many God is not this week's most interesting leader, the latest philosopher, author, politician, or self-help guru to get behind. This God doesn't stand for those who claim Him to then be claimed by whoever or whatever else out there might be compelling. Because this God loves us. And expects to be loved by us. It's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. For I am a jealous God. We bristle at that. We want to complain to our friends. Can you believe God? I mean, all I want to do is have some fun with some other gods. And he totally freaks out. What's so bad about flirting anyway? I'm just having fun. It's not like I'm going to do anything wrong. There's something about love that demands exclusivity. We don't always talk in those terms because we think of Jesus' love calling us to inclusivity, and it does. Agape love requires us to love our neighbors. It's basic to who Jesus was. And one of the most dangerous results that comes from gathering in a place like this with the Holy Spirit among us. Jesus wants us to love inclusively, 
broadly, beyond what we're comfortable with, because following Him leads us right into the presence of people we're not comfortable with. And when we get there, He says to us, love them. So yes, Jesus calls us to love inclusively, but doing so is a sign that we love God exclusively. In other words, if if we love God above all other gods, the gods of prejudice, self-service, status, you know, the gods that cause us to ask ourselves, what will others think if they find me caring for him? Then we are being exclusive. We are excluding the gods who would draw us away from this God and what this particular God we know in Jesus Christ asks of us. Maybe I should say it another way. If, as the Bible's metaphor suggests, God is our husband, we should expect. We should want God to be jealous of how we spend our time, our energy, our thoughts, our passions, how we use our bodies, what we do with our love. Just as we who are married want our spouses, need our spouses to understand that we are the primary person in their lives, we should expect that God would demand the same of us. I was reading a scholar who made this point. He said, if two people enter into a marriage covenant, certain expectations, certain rules come with it. But these rules represent much more. The obligation to the lover, he writes, is not fulfilled by mechanical compliance with stipulations. Imagine the absurdity in marriage if a partner greets his spouse at the end of the day. My commitment to you is complete today since I have not committed adultery. He ends the thought. The relationship, and this time he's talking about our relationship with God requires multiple expressions of love that can never be fully legislated. It's not fair of us, it's not enough of us, to say at the end of the day, God, I have not murdered anyone today, so I guess we're still good. God, the jealous lover, wants more than a list of things we didn't do wrong and a list of things we did right. God wants to be our priority. The same way your spouse wants you to think of her when you are not in her presence. The same way your spouse never wants to doubt that he or she is the person you are most interested in. The same way your spouse should become jealous when it looks like someone or something is taking his or her rightful place in your marriage. So it is with God. We don't want a God who doesn't get jealous because we do want a God who loves us passionately. So here's the good news. We have that kind of God. We have a God who loves us passionately. And here's the rest of the good news. God isn't going to leave us alone. When you love someone, you take him or her places. 
God is going to take us places. Put on your crash helmets. God is going to take us places we may not want to go. If we'll choose to go with Him, God is going to take us to some amazing places. And the way we can trust that it's okay to go with Him is because of the places God has gone before. This God created the universe. This God called us to be a people. This God redeemed us out of slavery. This God brought us to the promised land. This God sent His Son to liberate us from that which leads to death. This God brought in those who were formerly left out. This God's Son died so that death would die. This God sent His Spirit to show us our Lord's ways. This God is right here, right now, asking us to choose Him. Choose this day who you will serve. But I'm kind of a control freak. Choose this day who you will serve. But I'm more comfortable being served than serving. Choose this day. You know religion is all well and good up to a point. Choose this day. I like Jesus as my Savior, I'm not so big on that Lord part of it. Choose this day. I'm scared of long-term commitments. And besides, I don't have anything to offer. Imagine if a married person said that to her spouse. You know, we're married and all, but I'm not into long-term commitments. And besides... Uh, You must have seen something in me, but I have nothing to offer. If that's where your marriage is, let me help you find a counselor. If that's where your marriage with God is, let me help you right now. If you're baptized, you are already in a long-term commitment. And God is not backing off of God's end of the covenant. And the church is not backing off on our end of the covenant. And we're not giving up on you. And I can tell you that God and the church will never agree that you have nothing to offer. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. If what's holding you back is your fear of how unfaithful you might be ten years from today... Let that go. If you're holding back because you're not sure you believe the right things right now, it's okay. Choose this day who you will serve. Make today your focus. You don't need to worry about ten years from today. Today today is the day you need to worry about. Make a commitment. Today I will prioritize God. Today I will seek to be faithful with whatever it is that God has given me that I have to offer. Today, I'll seek to live faithfully into this covenant, this promise that's been made. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow today. I'll choose today. Today. I'll choose God this day.